seated. Well, good evening to everyone. I'm glad you're here. And we open the Word of God together. We're in Acts chapter 8. And this is a passage where we have Philip working as an evangelist. And you, you see him and how he's involved in the life of the Philip as of the Philippian or excuse me of the Ethiopian eunuch. And the book of Acts provides for us a, a infallible record of the church and the spread of the gospel. It begins with the resurrected Lord speaking to his gathered disciples and in in Acts 8 and, or excuse me Acts 1:8 we read, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. But it was not until seven years later when the persecution started in Acts 8 that the church really started fulfilling this call. Sometimes, you know, we're like that, you know, we're called sheep in the Bible because we're, we can be pretty dumb <laughs> in following the Lord. And he knows that, you know, and, and uh, you know, to, to hear that call and to, to move to action. And sometimes God has to, you know, sometimes you, I say a cattle prod on us to get us going, right? But how much do we play? What is our part and people being saved. You know, do we as those who, you know, people call Calvinists, you know, believe as such that, well, God is sovereign, so I don't even think about those things, I don't worry about those things, and, and I have nothing to do with other people's salvation. And I would simply say, then why did he send his spirit to encourage his people to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. You see, God ordains the means as well as the end. And he is ordained through the preaching of the gospel, the sharing of the gospel. However we bring the gospel, the vessel changes sometimes. Now we can use electronic devices. We're getting a solar-powered Bible for the people in Nepal who don't know how to read so they can listen to it. We're getting the gospel out there. But how much do we play in this? What is our part? And if you do share Christ with someone else, what are you supposed to say, actually? And what do we believe about the process of being saved or becoming a Christian? I, you know, we need clarity from time to time. And this passage, I think, brings that to us. That we see... And I'll say the theme is this, that saving people is God's work. Okay? Sharing the gospel is ours. And so we begin with this in verse 25, that we see that salvation is composed by God alone. It's not man that thought up a way of salvation, provided a way of salvation, Certainly that is the Lord's doing. And you see that very thing. They, they had testified 
And they had preached to Jerusalem and they preached the gospel in many villages, even among the Samaritans, those detested half-breed Samaritans. That's the way the Jews thought of them. Because they had been mingled when, uh, I believe it was Sennacherib, had scattered the people. Well, now we see here in this passages uh, that we're, we're studying that Philip... He's, he's been to Samaria, and he's crossed the, the racial and ethnic barriers that are common to men, you know, right from the beginning. You know, you have Cain and Abel at war with each other, and we're at war again today in a number of places. But he crossed those barriers, and now was, God was going to use Philip in a very unusual way. And we can learn from this, I think, in part to teach us about how evangelism and salvation work, work together. So, we read uh, in chapter 8 and verse 12 a little bit before, just to say, there was much joy in that city that had received the gospel. And that's a wonderful thing. People were believing and we're being baptized. And then, out of nowhere, it seems that in verse 26 we learn, an angel of the Lord says to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem, Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. You know, so God calls Philip, if you think about this, Leaving a successful evangelistic movement. That's why I read earlier the verse, you know, that tells us there was much joy in the city. I mean, it was, it was like a spiritual awakening was happening. But now he tells him to go to a place that seems completely inappropriate for that type of work. To the desert? On the road to Gaza? This one in verse 26, it, and what we have here is uh, there. Now, there were two roads to, from Jerusalem to Gaza, I should mention, but one of them went through the desert, so we know which one it was. That through the desert, this road was even seldom used. I don't know if any of you have ever been to the desert, but you know, it can be, uh, you know, a, a place where. I remember the first time I stood on the edge of the Sahara in Africa and looked at nothing but sand. And it was almost like you, I felt the danger of having the life sucked out of my being. It just seemed so empty. I'd never seen anything like it before. The amazing thing is that I worship with two Egyptian brothers who who the, the Muslim government wouldn't let them have a church building. So they used it to store the cows and other animals, but that's still where they met for worship. So I thought it was, you know, extremely uh, humbling for me and for these brothers who were so desirous to worship the Lord and to serve Him in a very difficult place. Well, God called Philip to go to the desert on a deserted road that practically no one used. 
It just didn't make sense. And yet, while God was speaking to Philip in one area, he was doing something else in the desert. You look at verse 27. So when he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship. A lot of people don't even know. They only think of Ethiopia today as, as being Muslim and the Muslim influence there. But no, ancient Christianity is there in Ethiopia. In fact, some of the Ethiopians think they have the Ark of the Covenant there. I don't know that that's true. But there is, you know, vibrant faith alive in some of the hearts of the people there. Was it this Ethiopian eunuch? on this road where nobody traveled that God directed Philip to go to meet that took it there in the first place the gospel of Jesus Christ you see God always has a plan you know sometimes we're not you know very well tuned into it you know I always think of that when I travel I sit on an airplane and I think Lord who are you going to have sit to next to me this time you know, sometimes I've sat with people and there's no way they wanted to talk to me about anything. You could just get that vibe, you know. And, and another time, uh, a fellow sat down and I'm thinking, Lord, how do I get to talk to this guy? He said, oh, just take out your Bible and read it. So I, yeah, I thought, that's a good thing. So I took it out and read it. And by the time I got off the plane, this man was weeping over his soul, over his life. He said, you never know. He, he was an a airline pilot who was going for training, but his life was a mess. He was about ready to lose his wife and children. And providentially, I just preached in a church, right, practically right across the street from his house. And I said, I know where there's a church you can go. So I'd, I'd never heard from him again. <coughs> but you, you have those things. See every step of this life's journey as being in God's good providence. Everyone he brings into your, your realm of being. You know, even when you go to the grocery store, when you go get your car fixed, you go get a dress, you go here, you go there, there are opportunities to speak to people who really are hungry for the gospel. Now, you wouldn't know that on the surface. You know, we love to put on a facade, a false front, you see, it, but when you scratch a little bit on the surface of that person's life and show care for them, you will be amazed at what happens, you see. But we often don't do that. We just go on our busy way. We don't take time, and we really should. We should see every step of our life's journey ordered by the Lord. The scripture tells us that. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That's what the scripture says. So God always has a plan. And here we have this Ethiopian eunuch. What do we know about him? Well, he was a court official in charge of the treasure for the queen. Excuse me, I am really dry today. So. Must be dry in Nebraska, right? Well, it can't be as bad as when the desert of Kenya, right, Julie? <laughs> We would go through, uh, I don't know, four, six, eight liters of water a day. It's so dry. Well, here we are in a desert, and uh, we have this, you know, what do we want to call him? The Minister of Finance? Uh, 
Secretary of the Treasury. It was like that. He was, you know, he was a well-respected, a man with, uh, you know, a lot of responsibility. Obviously, was educated and trusted. And what else do we know? Well, in verse 27, we find that he's a God-fearer. Okay, and uh, that although not a Jew, he believed there was a God, and he was still searching. And also, he was a eunuch. So although he might fear God, he couldn't go into the temple. Not according to Deuteronomy and the law of God. But verse 28 tells us something else. He was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. It's kind of a tie-in from this morning's message in one sense, as we read Isaiah, and Isaiah coming into the presence of God now we have him reading the prophet Isaiah and what transpires in his life. And, you know, he's probably reading it out loud, and it says Philip heard it. So it's Isaiah 53. Now, with that understanding, we take a step back and you can see God is sovereignly orchestrating the events, bringing them together so that the Ethiopian eunuch might become a believer. And Philip and the Ethiopians' meeting was not a chance encounter. Okay? It was not a product of human ingenuity. If it had been, he wouldn't have gone on the desert road to Gaza. He would have took a more well-traveled path. But it was God's sovereign hand bringing them together for the Ethiopian to hear the gospel. And it may be that very same thing that happens to you when you meet someone. Just don't let events pass easily about thinking about them and praying about them. Oh, I'm going to go meet Fred today and, you know, I'm going to go help him run his combine and we're going to do some harvesting together. He needs help. But it's also an opportunity to help Fred in his soul. You know, does Fred know the Lord or is Fred troubled? Maybe he was a believer who's not doing well spiritually. You know, take time to really care for people. And, and know that as a Christian, God has orchestrated the events of our lives. And he orchestrated the event for you and I to hear the gospel. It may be that we grew up in a godly home and we had wonderful godly parents who taught us the gospel or a good pastor or, or however it was. Or in a jail cell reading the Bible too. You know, don't despise those things. God uses it. Even Jesus said in John 4, 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. God does. He is the, the grand master, if you will, of the orchestra. And he does orchestrate our lives. And we need to keep that in mind. The circumstances that led to the Ethiopian coming to Christ were specifically arranged by God so that this man may be saved. And so never forget that in the process of evangelism and salvation, it is God who is in control of all these things. We can have the confidence, assurance, and freedom to know that God is making it happen because salvation is orchestrated by the Lord. You know, sometimes you think, oh, I planned this event. I'm going to go meet so-and-so. You're not going to do it unless God wills it. 
It's not going to happen. You can plan all day long. It's like the Lord taught about, you know, you say, do this business, I'm going to buy this, buy this. You know, no, you say, if God wills. And what is he saying? He's saying, God's in charge of all things. You're, you can be the smartest broker on the planet and not make wise decisions. You know, you can be caught up into the world and follow foolish things. You need to pray for the Lord to direct your steps and make it known to you in doing so. Now, salvation we see here, man has a part. Philip had a part. God called him. The angel of the Lord came to him. And when you read verses 26 and 27 together, you see that Philip immediately responds. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. Oh, that we would respond in such a way. Isaiah came into the presence of God. And when the Lord set forth his commission, Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. I'll go among these people you know, who, like me, have unclean lips. In this generation, we need people to have a burden for that. You know, I remember in my own youth growing up, we had Boys Club of America. Now, sadly, they've gone astray. But when I went in the 50s, it was a Christian organization. Churches used the Boys Club. We went, we played basketball. Yes, I even played basketball. I wasn't very good at it, I have to say, you know. But, uh, you know, activities together. Reach out to your community. What can Hope Reformed Church do to reach other youth besides just here? But it's good for the youth in this church. That they see that happening, that you're leading it and reaching out. Sometimes there's a couple in a church and they just have such a love for children and young people. You know, and, and they'll take that up. Doesn't mean the pastor or the elders have to do it all. But some of you... What ministries can broaden out from here to reach out into Sutton? You know, what can you do? Young people, you know, we've got a multitude of addictions going on. There are good Christian programs, you know, that uh, reach out in Christ's name to help people who are addicted, drugs, alcohol, you know, I mean... You know, Alcoholics Anonymous started that way, but they went off track too. Now you don't say the name of Jesus in a meeting, and you know you say you talk about higher powers and stuff. Well, that's that's bankrupt. I mean, I'm glad there, and I don't criticize someone may go. That helps them stop being an alcoholic. But you're not going to be saved by not being an alcoholic. You need Jesus Christ to work in your life and in your heart, so that you acknowledge your sins. You see, there's all sorts of things you can do. Or when there's any kind of community tragedy, the church can respond to that. Not let some other organization do it, the state do it, the, you know, government do it. You know, a family's home burns down. Well, the church can rush to that too. Because in God's providence, he's put that before you. It's your community, the place where you live. Philip didn't question it. He just did what God called him to do. And he's called every single one of us to be servants of the Lord. 
There's nothing better you could have as your epitaph on your tombstone than here lies a servant of the Lord, or his body anyhow. That's the title we should strive for. You know, you see that, especially in the New Testament and the introduction of the letters of Paul, they all begin, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Paul and Timothy, bondservant. That means like the slave of slaves. We need to be committed to Christ the way Philip was. And he went down this deserted road where nobody would be. And listen, God may call you to do something similar to that. So Jim, when you're out there on that, what do you call that thing? Maintainer, you know, on that road, you know, that lonely road. There may be somebody you come across that you can share the gospel with. Maybe they're stuck on the side of the road. And, and we come across things, accidents. You know, somebody with a flat tire. Little things like that. Do it in Jesus' name. A cup of water, give it in Jesus' name. Well, Philip goes, you see. And Philip was obedient. But not just that, Philip was also bold. In verse 27, it says the Ethiopian was traveling back from worship. And in verse 28, it tells us he was reading Isaiah. And then from verses 29 to 30, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. I mean, he's chasing down a chariot. Reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? Now think about that. Who is Philip? I mean, obviously the, the Ethiopian eunuch, you could tell this is a man, he probably was being carried on some, you know, maybe even by hand or at least in, in some carriage of some sort that had to be demonstrably for a, a prestigious person that you could tell. And yet here's Philip, he comes up because he's bold in the Spirit of God, you see. And Philip ran to him and said, Do you understand what you are reading? To this educated Secretary of Treasury, for Candace, he asked this question. Now, do you see Philip imposing himself, pressing the issue, asking the questions? Philip's taking the risk, but he's going one more step. If God is sovereign, he, he could have used any means to save the Ethiopian. An angel, Isaiah, a, a vision. But God had chosen to use people. I came to Christ because someone told me the gospel. Encouraged me to read the Bible. And the gospel must have come to you. And often it's through the means of another human being. Someone who knows the Lord. And we need to pursue people sometimes. And ask, do you understand the gospel? Do you understand who Jesus really is? God orchestrates the salvation, but He uses men and women like you and me often to share that gospel with others who come to Christ. Francis of Assisi, I don't agree with all his theology, certainly, but he was reported to have said, 
preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. There's where I especially don't agree with his theology. Well, that's a cute saying. But the fact is you can't preach the gospel without using words. He wants you to preach the gospel by doing a good example. What about when I'm a bad example? You see, there comes to a point where there's a verbal explanation that is necessary to be confessed. Was it enough for Philip to walk beside the chariot and verbally share the gospel? He didn't just come there by the chariot with a Christian attitude. You know, I hope he would see it. Or just to smile and be nice. You see? You see, you are the ones that have a great responsibility for evangelism in this community. There's only so much for your pastor and elders. There's only so much of them to go around. It's this being a living congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Living out your faith day to day in your homes, in your community, in your workplaces. The events of your life are orchestrated by God so that he brings people into your life so that he will use you to share that gospel. It can be at your school, you young people who know the Lord. Or in some activity at your school, you're a sports team or some other, you know, like the 4-H or wherever you're in, act, in, in activities with other people and other young people. You can share the gospel. Don't fear. God's the one who does the saving, not you. You just do the sharing. Take his message, that good news of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross and how necessary it is for people to believe that message. And you take a step back from this passage, you see God were at work here. God speaking to Philip. Then the Ethiopians under conviction. And the Spirit tells Philip to go up into the chariot. And all this shows us that the results aren't dependent upon us, but the power of God. We're even told, Paul says, the gospel is the power of God unto everyone who believes. The gospel is a message. So we take that powerful message, if you will, and God works His grace. It's not us. It's us taking here. It's like giving medicine. You know, I don't cure, but I hand them the medicine that helps them, you see. Well, the gospel is the, the medicine for the soul. To bring a soul that's dead in its trespasses and sins to life in Jesus Christ who died for sinners. So again, I, I emphasize, salvation is orchestrated by God and salvation is explained by man. That's our great responsibility. And then third, that salvation is based on the word of God. And when you go all the way back to verse 25 and you read what John and Peter were doing, it said, when they had testified and spoken the word of God, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. What was the passage that he read that was the gospel? It's from the Old Testament. I remember being stunned about going to Nepal and, and that many of the leaders didn't understand that Jesus was even revealed in the Old Testament. 
And that just was staggering to me. But, you know, I didn't get angry at them. I felt, I felt compassion for them. I said, well, I need to help them. I need to teach them. And we need to do that with people. People who profess to be Christian can often know little or next to nothing of the gospel in our culture today. It's just become a cultural thing. Well, you know, you know, my dad was a Baptist, my grandpa was a Baptist, and you're not going to make a Christian out of me. No, I'm not supposed to say that, am I? You know. Or he was Reformed and he was Reformed. No, you need to know Christ. That's the point. You need to share. He's a living Savior at the right hand of the Father right now, ever living to make intercession for us. If that's not hope, what is? The very Son of God has me for His concern and praying before His Father? That's awesome. Just awesome. And so the, the scripture they were reading, Isaiah 53, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Wow, what an opening. You know, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. I've had that with people. You know, people, you know, come to me and say, actually ask, well, what does it mean to be saved? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> you know, okay? But you've you got to open the door for people to talk to you like that. And if you're kind of bristly person and standoffish, they're not going to do it. You have to show compassion and humility. To know that you're a person that cares about others. You need to convey that message because Jesus did. Jesus did. For the joy set before him, he went to the cross. He looked upon Jerusalem and he wept. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Like a mother hen gathering her chicks, I would have taken you in. But you killed the prophets. But then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. That's what he did. In verse 32, the Ethiopian's reading the passage. And this points to the substitutionary death of Christ. Peter would quote it about, by his stripes you are healed. You know, he suffered for us. What's amazing is that Luke tells us a similar story, doesn't he, about two disciples on the Emmaus Road after the resurrection. When Jesus joined them on the road, Luke 24, 27 says about Jesus himself. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The things concerning himself. The whole Old Testament didn't have the New Testament, the body in the time of Jesus. It was just starting to be written, the Gospels. This passage 
is going to drive our philosophy for evangelism and church growth. It ought to. And this is what I mean. I mean, there are so many props and gimmicks and manipulation in pulpits today because we've lost confidence in the power of the gospel. It's really in the power of God himself. The scripture is clear. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what people need to hear. No. That's what needs to be in their hearts. Saving faith in Jesus Christ. But we, we, we think of other things now. You know, we, we send people to a psychologist if they, they have some, you know, ism or some personalities disorder. We love to label everything. We have no cure. That's why the suicide rate among teenagers today is the highest it's ever been. We don't have a cure that the world offers. They don't have it. Only the gospel does. And we've allowed, you know, you know, psychobabble to flow into the pulpit and other places in place of the gospel. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't physicians and doctors and sometimes even you know, psychiatrists that can provide some kind of help for some things, because often there are some medical issues and things. So I'm not wanting you to go to the, another extreme, that there isn't some help. But it does not replace the gospel. It's no substitute, because usually the main issue for people with different addictions is sin. There needs to be that repentance, a change of thinking, that's what repentance means from the Greek word, metanoia, that leads to a change of living. And a psychiatrist can't affect that change. Drug, I mean, drugs may help some physical maladies and things of that, but they usually end up, you know, not helping as much as they ought to. And, you know, sadly, a lot of our physicians have become like pharmacists. Everything has to have a pill for it. Again, not going to the other screen, that there isn't medicine that's helpful. There is, of course. But we cannot replace the gospel. And the paramount importance of the gospel for healing souls, healing hearts, healing minds. Medicines can't do that. they, They deal with physiological issues. How do you deal with the spirit of man? With his soul? That's a spiritual issue. Then is it any wonder that psychiatrists have some of the highest suicide rates of any in the medical profession? Because they they know they don't have answers. They're basically dealing with symptoms. We certainly don't need props and gimmicks. We need to follow Paul's thrust, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Philip didn't get up into the chariot and start doing balloon tricks and pull out his gospel puppets. (laughs) You, You have that in adult worship services now, okay? Not talking about just children. That's foolishness. 
He didn't get up there and tell the, the Ethiopian, oh, well, you know, if you accept Jesus, you know, that, that, that God would bless you financially. He'll put gold in your teeth or heal your body and make you happy. But sometimes being a Christian costs you dearly. Costs you everything. In fact, that's what the Lord says. That if we're not willing to deny ourselves and to take up our cross daily and follow Him, then we're not worthy of Him. Becoming a Christian one day here in this country may mean it costs you your life. I have a dear friend from Romania who spent two years in prison for his Christian faith. 120 people in a, in a, in a 20 by 20 room with a barrel in the middle of the room where they took care of all their private business. Two years. It cost them a lot to be a Christian. We haven't had to suffer that here. But we're headed that way. Listen, we're headed that way. We have people in authority now, they would love to stamp out Christianity from this land. We need to be busy about our Heavenly Father's work and we need to be taking the gospel to everyone that we can reach out to who will hear, who will listen. Philip took the word of God and he told him about Jesus. He explained Jesus from all the Old Testament scriptures. Saving people is God's work, but sharing the gospel is ours. And I'll end with this. Salvation is centered on Christ alone. Notice what Philip does in verse 35. He opened his mouth and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. That's the heart of it. All of Philip's teaching from the Bible went back to Jesus. We need to relate the whole of Scripture to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it may be difficult for us. We, we may have to study. We have to, have to search the Scriptures and compare Scripture with Scripture. Okay. But there is a purpose for every page. For every paragraph, every sentence, every word, every jot, every tittle. And it is especially to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. It begins and ends with Jesus Christ, our salvation, and no other. What do we have? I, I give a list. Repentance from sin. Faith in Christ's atoning death on the cross. Forgiveness of sins. The Lordship of Christ. Sanctification as you age, you are to be growing in the Christian life. And then finally, glorification. When you die, you spend eternity in heaven. You know, just... Make it, it's simple in one sense. That's why a lot of people don't read the Bible, not because they can't understand it. They just don't agree with it. They don't believe it. That's what they object. Or they don't like what it says about mankind and about man. But we must remember again that the determining factor for our relationship with the Lord God is not based on what we have done but it's based upon what He has done. And our faith in His death on the cross 
That's what we're heralding. Don't look at me, look at Jesus. Yeah, you'll see flaws in me. Oh, I guarantee you. That lady's got a long list of them over there, you know. It's not presenting ourselves. And, you know, people will do that. Oh, yo, you're this, you're that. Yeah, I am. You caught me. I'm a sinner. Guilty as charged. But let me tell you about him who is sinless. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The very Son of God. Let me tell you about him. And what he has done. That's how all of this is applied. It shows that the Ethiopian believed and he desired baptism as a symbol of his new faith. And the story here gives us the structure of salvation. Saving people is God's work. Again, sharing with people is ours. And then we read in, in verse 39 that the wonderful conclusion of this event here. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuchs saw him no more. But, you know, we could say but, it's translated and, but it could be but, went on his way rejoicing. See, the eunuch didn't need Philip any longer. He had Jesus Christ. You know, I came to that realization sitting in a jail cell. The Lord was there with me. I had the Lord Jesus Christ and His promises to see me through the whole of life, through eternity. He went on His way rejoicing, even though Philip probably went off on another assignment. Now, sometimes we forget that the sole purpose of, of the gospel is not just the forgiveness of sins. That's certainly of great importance. The purpose of the gospel is for you and me and for others who have been estranged from God to be restored in fellowship with Him. That's what His covenant is all about. It's a promise. It's a marriage. It's the bridegroom and, and the bride, His church, His people. You see, forgiveness kind of gets everything out of the way so that we can enjoy God. Really enjoy the fact that we've been redeemed of the Lord. And I think that's why the Ethiopian eunuch grasped that. He had that, you know, regeneration of his heart and soul. That's why he can go off rejoicing. I don't need Philip. I have Jesus Christ. And sometimes people will hurt us and desert us. People of all sorts. People that we greatly trusted at one time or another. But our Lord Jesus Christ's love is perfect. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the covenant-keeping God. We are covenant breakers. We must confess that. But God keeps his covenant. Look how many times he went back to Israel over and over and over through the Old Testament you know, to, to pull them out of their sin and just their rebellion against God one time after another. In memory, poor Hosea, he even has him marry a, a harlot so to demonstrate Israel's sin. You've gone whoring after other gods, like an unfaithful wife or an unfaithful husband. 
See, you and I were designed to enjoy God. And the gospel brings that knowledge to us. That we have a Savior that loves us eternally. A Savior who will never desert us. The most faithful bridegroom who will always be there. A joy that goes beyond the thin, shrill, if you will, of fleeting happiness. It's a joy that's founded on Christ, that solid rock, that should see us through every event of life, no matter what's going on, especially in our difficulties. I remember when my father passed away, the last time I saw my dad, I came home like the prodigal son, and you know, my dad loved the Lord. Last time I saw him in the hospital, he was reading the Bible, and we prayed together. And then I was at work, and I got a call, you need to come. You know, your father's, you know, taking a turn for the worse. And by the time I got to the hospital, he had passed. And first, I had this overwhelming grief when you lose a loved one. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It just, just, it, it just overcomes you. But then, the amazing thing, it was like the Lord was, stop, think. Your father is with me. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. No tears. And an overwhelming joy overtook my heart. And I wanted to sing hymns. My dad loved to sing. He was a terrible singer. You know, he said he sounded like his mule when it died. But, uh, you know, he loved to sing because he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Joy that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, let's not be the frozen chosen. All right, let's, let's really pray that God would continually fill our hearts with joy, even in difficult times. Or we could say especially in difficult times. And then share that joy with this world. You know, a lot of people are very, very unhappy. Because happiness is not found in the abundance of things, as Scripture tells us. And many people, that's where they think happiness is. If I get a new car, a new house, a new wife, you know, that's what they're doing. And it's a foolish pursuit, because they'll never find it that way. It's temporary at best, and it's fleeting for sure. But eternal joy is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. The Lord bless you, dear ones. Again, a privilege to be here with you today. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you've brought us to this place where we can worship you, where your word can be opened, where our hearts can be opened, our voices opened, to sing praises to you, to pray to you, Oh, what a blessing that is. So many don't know this and don't desire this. Lord, we know that's a gift from you. Some of us have neighbors right next door to us who don't know you. We have loved ones, family members who have wandered from you or don't know you. Lord, help us to take that joy that's in our heart, to know what Christ has done and is doing 
and has promised to do for all eternity to preserve his people and grant to us the great gift of everlasting life. With joy, let us take it to this sin-darkened and sinful world and to our nation that needs great healing, O God. This people that make up this nation, we pray for a spiritual awakening to the glory of your Son, Jesus. And we know it will be so when people are no longer ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. That politicians won't just use a nebulous name of God and yet not identify who that God is. We want men and women in places of authority in our lives, in our families, parents, grandparents who rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ, who are not ashamed of that name which is exalted above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's pray now, together as the Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Think of that. His is the power and the glory, the kingdom that will last forever. Amen. Well, thank you, Brother Scott, for the privilege to be here today.